Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information about Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. And now, here's Cynthia. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you had a nice Valentine's. And in honor of this month, the show today is called I Want to Know What Love Is. And so we're going to talk for quite a bit, quite extensively, about this thing called love. And so love is really what everything is about, and understanding how powerful love is. We have so many biblical references for what love is, what it does, what it's made to do. And what God first and foremost tells us is that love never fails. And I know that sometimes we've experienced failure in relationship. But the love is not what failed. It's us learning how to love well, so that we really actually have that success that we're wanting. So the hardest part for us as humans is to know what love is and to how, how, to, how to love well and to actually understand that concept of love. It is so important that we know that love does not always feel good. Again, true love does not always feel good. And the world is searching hard for love, marketing it, replacing it, selling it, explaining it, exploiting it, misrepresenting it. What really is this thing called love? Well, this show, being entitled I Want to Know What Love Is, is really based on that song. I'm probably dating myself, you know, the song by Foreigner. And what's so powerful about this is that we can only know what true love is when we go to the one who is love and where true love emanates from. God is love. He didn't create it. He is it. Now, because he is all truth, we can find and actually experience true love through him. The reason it's so important to make the distinction of true love, not just love, is because we are taught and experience many things that are all called love. But as we become healthier, more truth-based people, we find out what we might have originally considered love to be was, was in fact not. We often confuse healthy, corrective, uncomfortable, painful love as abuse. And conversely, what, we, what feels so intense and pleasurable, we interpret as true love. So this is really an important concept to understand. That when we look at healthy love, healthy love is not always pleasurable. So just plain love in a human form is when we're always wanting to feel good, always wanting just to be happy. And so this is imperative that we understand when we're learning how to love in a healthy manner, that there is going to be some uncomfortable things, some painful things. As the closer we get to someone, the more we have to experience ourselves. So what does the world say that love is? Well, one author says, depending on context, love can be of a different varieties. But at times, the very existence of love is questioned. Some say it's false and meaningless. It says that it never exists because there are so many instances of hatred and brutality in relationship. The history of our world has witnessed many such events. And there's hatred between brothers and parents and children, sibling rivalry, spouses have failed each other. Friends have betrayed each other. The son has killed his parents for the throne. The count is endless. 
Even the modern generation is also facing with such dilemmas every day. But love is not responsible for that. It is us, the people, who have forgotten the meaning of love and have undertaken such gruesome apathy. I really like this last line that this author says. He says, love is not responsible for gruesome apathy or violence. Whatever ugly you have seen in the world, love is not responsible for this. We are. This is because we are people who have forsaken love. This does not mean that there is not a lot of high emotionality in our love. There is a difference between intensity, emotionality, and true love. So what we're going to look at is what true love really is. So I googled, I want to know what love is, that song, I googled that. And there was 571 million posts about this song. What does this tell me? Countries have been won and lost over love. So this famous song by Foreigner went on for pages and pages about what, what this inspired song. What a pain-filled song. We're going to look at another song, another famous one called um, Love Hurts by Nazareth. Very interesting and telling song. So as we look at the famous song by Foreigner, I want, you to, I want to know what love is. We look at the following passage. In my life, there's been heartache and pain. I don't know if I can face it again. I can't stop now. I've traveled so far to change this lonely life. I'm going to take a little time, a little time to look around me. I've got nowhere left to hide. It looks like love has finally found me. So we see this tendency as human beings that no matter how much we have been hurt, we're going to try again. We will always try again. I tell clients repeatedly, this is not stupid. It's not stupid to try it again. This is human. This is how humans are made. And we are made in the image of God that we always keep trying. We can't stop loving. So isn't it comforting that this comes from God? He never stops trying and he can't stop loving. So again, we're going to take a little time, a little time to think things over. Then we're going to figure it out and we're going to start again. So the most important thing you can do if you have been hurt is to take a little time. Take time to heal. Then you'll jump back in again and you'll love again. So we say to God, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to know what love is. I know you can show me. So in this next song by Nazareth, we hear this lead singer just wailing as he sings this song. And I'm sure in some way the Lord was honored and inspired by this song. The first lines certainly encapsulate what Christ must have been feeling when he came to earth as a baby, left his kingdom, his home, and his father, as he experienced and saw the suffering of the creation and had to face the subsequent need to die on the cross, all in the name of love. And so Nazareth, this, this band, they write, Love hurts, love scars, love wounds and marks. Any heart not tough enough or strong enough to take a lot of pain, take a lot of pain. Love is like a cloud and holds a lot of rain. Love hurts. Well, love hurt Jesus, scarred him, wounded him, and marred him. We're not talking about masochism. We need to understand that true love, real love, will hurt sometimes. However, the hurt that is true always produces fruit and growth. Hurt resulting from dysfunction, foolishness, selfishness, and narcissism, this only injures and harms. This needs time to heal. So again, I want you to hear me when I say that true love, real love, always produces fruit and growth, even if there is hurt, because sometimes it hurts to grow. And so the hurt that results from dysfunctional love, being in relationship with foolishness, selfishness, narcissism, this only produces injury and it harms. 
So what are some other songs the world has used to express love? How about the song Always and Forever? Or the famous Linda Ronstadt song, When Will I Be Loved? Or I Only Have Eyes for You? You light up my life. You're the sunshine of my life. Just the way you are. How about with you, I'm born again? And I like the Nancy Sinatra song. These boots are made for walking. So we can see that love is the thing that is the most paramount, the most important, the most salient, the most enduring process and thing on this earth. So what if we look at romance novels? We see the most enduring and popular themes continually reflect the story of Jesus. A hero that comes to rescue and save the character in bondage, the characters in distress and heartache. And the hero, the hero is the one that sees them for who they really are, like no one else ever has. The hero loves, lives, and dies if necessary for the main character. Then taking them out of hell they live in, he then lives with them in a beautiful kingdom, a kingdom with respect, no pain, no stress, bondage, or hurt. So what we see in that is that sacrifice then change occurs when we are willing to fearfully face ourselves in order to love well. When we are willing to endure the pain that produces gain. So oftentimes dysfunctional abusive relationships, it only produces pain in vain. If I'm only surviving my pain, there would be no gain in the relationship. So if you are in a relationship that is completely painful and you are only surviving it, then that doesn't produce growth. But even if the relationship is highly dysfunctional with an abusive person, I can still turn that pain for gain versus only surviving the pain. And then the pain is, if, if I'm only surviving it, then the pain is only in vain. So I can allow the pain to strengthen me, deepen me, and cause me to be a more humble person, a person that can love with more resiliency and authenticity. And I will be better able to recognize abusive and dangerous people. So we accept that functional, healthy relationships still create pain. They still hurt. They still wound. They still mark us. However, this pain is the difference between growing pains and just being brutalized. Well, how do I know the difference? Well, we're going to look at this. But this quote from Shakespeare, I think, says it well. This is what he says. Love all, trust few, do wrong to none. I think this is a great way to live. I love all, I trust few, and I do wrong to none. So if I'm to do this, I must look at the relationship and the imminent pain that will be there and see the difference between a perfect person and a trustworthy person. We know there are no perfect people. Now, I trust God implicitly because he is perfect. However, I do not, let me repeat, I do not trust humans implicitly. If I do, I will be very, very hurt very, very often. So the difference is trustworthy people make mistakes, but, and but is the operative word, trustworthy people make mistakes, but they care about the mistake. They usually feel worse than I do about what's been done. This is a trustworthy person. I will make mistakes in my relationships, and I will hurt the people that I love. However, it truly bothers me. It wounds me when I know I have transgressed someone I love. It might even keep me awake at night, actually. As a result, I do everything I can to fix it as quickly as possible, and I do what I need to do in order to make sure it never happens again. I make sure the person knows that I'm working on it and that I will rectify the issue as soon as possible, and I'm thankful for grace and forgiveness while I'm working it out. This is a trustworthy person. 
versus an individual that wounds me, scars me, marks me, and continuously says they're sorry but never changes. This is not a trustworthy person. This is a difference between a relationship that creates healthy pain for growth and humility and an abusive relationship that will only elicit the need to survive. I need to be careful with whom I am entrusting my heart. It is imperative that I have appropriate expectations on humans, that I trust God implicitly, and I look for trustworthy people that I can trust, but I don't trust them implicitly. And I want to work on being a trustworthy person myself. So join me in the next break, after this break, and we're going to continue with I Want to Know What Love Is. Welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And today, the show is called I Want to Know What Love Is. And in the last um, first part of this hour, we talked a lot about what love is, what the world says about love. But we were ending with this important concept of trustworthy people. Because if we are to truly love, we need to be trustworthy. And trustworthy people are not perfect. Trustworthy people are working on their own issues, they're in a process. Trustworthy people care when they hurt someone, and they do everything they can to rectify the situation. People that are not trustworthy, untrustworthy people, take advantage of our grace, take advantage of our mercy, take advantage of our forgiveness, and don't ever change. These are not trustworthy people. So what do you think love is? I mean, seriously. As you're listening to this show or reading this in a mini book, what is love to you? What does love mean to you? What makes sense to you? What does it feel like to you? Think about it for a minute in your own life. What is love to me? How do I feel loved and how do I enjoy loving? You see, everyone is unique. Now, however, we all fit into many human generalities. But what makes us feel truly loved is very unique to us. This is why people are so amazed when they find that one person that works for them. I mean, there are billions of people on this planet. So if it weren't an issue of originality and uniqueness... It would be easy to find someone that works. There's so many of us. But instead, it feels like a miracle when you find that one person. No matter how much they try and measure, quantify, analyze how or why people fall in love, there are elements that are indefinable. And I believe it is the element of uniqueness, that I am a one-time, originally occurring person, and finding the person where all the dots and points connect is truly not easy. It is a miracle. This is why God is so amazing. He can be all things to all people. He is so substantive, so everything, so our all in all, that he works for everyone in relationship. He gets that part of you that no one else gets. It's because he made you for him. He knows you, and he really likes you. The most amazing feeling for people is to be loved and liked. doesn't get any better than that. So God does both with all of us, which is amazing in and of itself, considering the fact that he knows us completely. It is tremendously healing, affirming, and encouraging all at the same time to realize that God knows us deeply, completely, and he really likes us. He really likes us anyways. So let's take a moment and look at it in, in the inverse for you. So what is not love? For example, those people you've been in relationship with or you're currently in relationship with, and they tell you they love you, and you want to say to them, then please stop loving me. 
If that's what love is, I don't want to be loved. So what do you think love isn't? Well, I know apathy, indulgence, passivity, reckless freedom, which leads to bondage. Or how about enabling, dishonesty, shaming, blaming, guilting, or controlling, rejecting, being passive-aggressive, withholding. These are things that are not love. Now, these may be occurring out of someone's injury, but a trustworthy person would be working on that injury so they would stop doing those things that steal love. So let me tell you about one day in my job, because my job is all about love or the lack of it. My job is because of the need for love, the lack of love that people are experiencing. I did a, um, a radio interview on another show, and I did it about suicide. And what suicide is all about are these people feeling unlovable, unseen, unappreciated, unnoticed. They're afraid to love again, abused, but mostly they are disconnected from themselves and others. Just as we see the seriousness of being disconnected from self in the scene of Calvary, when Jesus was truly disconnected from God, it killed him. See, healthy relationship with self is imperative for authentic living and true loving. If I don't have healthy relationship with self, we cannot begin to have any successful relationship with others other than God, because he can handle our disconnect. So when we see how important, imperative it is that we are connected to ourselves and connected to others, because this is the primary reason that people suicide. So we want to really be asking God to say, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. And our belief is, God, I know you can show me. What we find is that the only way we can know what love is is if we know the one who is love. As we said, we don't even know when pain is love. We may think it's painful and abusive love when it isn't. And when it feels good, we might find out it's simply intense pleasure, and there's no real love in it at all. What I do know is that the true human love is not perfect, but true human love is enduring. Think about the love of a parent or a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a spouse that loves in richer for poor and in sickness or in health. I know that God's amazing love turns bad things into good for me. He doesn't make a bad thing good, but he overcomes bad with good. Enduring, committed, and truly loving people have done that in my life. They have done that for me. I have also had very abusive people in my life as well, that I've had to get over that pain and grow from that, not just survive it, so that I can become a more trustworthy person. See, the bad stuff is still bad. But I have experienced true love that covers and causes the bad to pale. So always remember, God never gives anyone more than they can handle. I do not like that saying, because that's really not an accurate scriptural issue. It implies that God is giving us abuse and unnecessary hardship, but we can handle it. So what God is saying is that we will never be tempted beyond what we can bear. We're never tempted beyond what we can handle. He will always offer a way out. God knows that this world is not possible to effectively and healthfully handle. However, this is true. Satan always gives us more than we can handle. Furthermore, imperfect people give me more than I can handle. Secondly, my inappropriate and childish expectations on people always give me more than I can handle, as well as my untrue expectations of myself. So it's not God giving us things to handle. It's God saying, I understand mistake-making people, and you're going to get things that you can't handle but I'm going to help you through that. I'm going to help you grow and strengthen. 
So you begin to handle life in a different way. So now I want to know what love is, right? Look for love versus looking for hurt or disappointment. Recognize the voices, the stories, the narratives that you're telling yourself about love and what you're experiencing. What is you in the love relationship and what needs to change? Are you courageous enough to require change from the one you love? That would also be yourself. Are you courageous enough to require yourself to change? Think about what you ex- how you experienced love or when you recognized love. What did you see and what did you feel? The people in your life are saying to you as well, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is, and I know you can show me. So how do I love people when I don't always know what love is? I need to know the creator of love, the source of all love, and be willing to ask those in my life, the ones you want to love well, what is love to them? This is an admonition. I say to the people I love, what is love to you? How do you feel loved? What do I need to do for you to to feel loved by me? And when they tell me what love is to them, then I need to show them that love back. So we're going to be coming up on another break. So I want you to think about in that break, what is love to me? How do I feel loved? What does it look like? And how can I show others love? And what we're going to go on and look at very, very intensely today is that need to be connected with self in order to have healthy, authentic relationships with others. So join me again in the next um, segment, and we are going to talk about what love is. joining me. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And today this show is called I Want to Know What Love Is. So as we were in the last two segments, we were talking about some very important concepts. And one that in order to know what love is, we need to know who is the greatest lover. We need to know it from the source of all love, which is God. We also need to realize that if we are disconnected from ourselves, we are going to be, it is very difficult to connect with other people. And we're not going to be able to pick people well if we are disconnected from ourselves. And then we also talked about trustworthy versus untrustworthy. And that we can't look for perfect people in our relationships because we are going to be let down and we are going to be hurt. What we're looking for are trustworthy people. Trustworthy people care when they hurt you and they change as quickly as they can and they don't do it again. Untrustworthy people apologize, act like they care, but don't change. There's a big difference between trustworthy and untrustworthy people. So we were talking this last part about needing to know the creator of love and the source of all love. And when I, when you, what the Bible has to say is, is, is amazing. So how many times do you think the word appears in the Bible? Well, using 17 different versions and including loves and loved, different words, etc. This is an average of 588.7 times. However, this doesn't include loving or loving kindness. You could add a whole nother hundred. Or it is usually quoted at 319 times in the Old Testament and 232 times in the New Testament. So it depends on the translation, but it's interesting that in the Old Testament, God said he loved them more than overtly in the New Testament. 
So the other thing that's important is when you Google just the word love, you'll see 1.4 billion to just that one word. This is how important this is. So let's look at another preliminary definition of love. This is of love will be helpful to prepare the way for our study. So we're going to look at, because there's some scriptures that I'm going to give you as well. Love is the heartfelt affection of a Christian in response to the love God has shown toward us, especially in the gift of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Love is an affection which prompts the Christian to action. Love is first and foremost directed toward God and then toward others in order of priority. God, family, especially our mate, fellow believers, our neighbor, even our enemy. Love subordinates the interests of the lover to the one who is loved. Love inspires our deliberate, diligent, self-sacrificial service to others, which is intended for their good, many times at our expense. Our love as Christians is to both be a response to God's love and a reflection of his love. So if you look um, at the entire chapter of Romans, this is where he talks all about being a living sacrifice, the humble services in the body of Christ, love in action, and he ends with, do not repay anyone for evil, evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. It is possible, as far as it depends on you, to live at peace with everyone. And this is important for us to realize in relationship, that we are to live at peace as, as much as possible, so that we are, not, we are overlooking idiosyncrasies, we are looking, overlooking people's growing process. And so we're not getting snagged on every little thing. Because many times when I work with clients, and especially if I work with couples, I say to them, you're acting like a walking piece of Velcro. You're snagging on everything. And so part of being in relationship smooths us down if we'll let it. And it's kind of painful. But it helps us to be smoother so that we're not snagging on each other. We're not tripping over one another. We're not colliding into one another. So we're going to talk about three types of love. There's... And I'm sure that you've heard some of these or heard this explained before. This is agape, eros, and phileo. So agape love, this is the Greek word that that is in the New Testament, and it's it's different from other types of love. The essence of this love is self-sacrifice. Unlike our English word, agape is not used in the Bible to refer to romantic or sexual love, nor does it refer to close friendship or brotherly love, for which the Greek word is phileo, and that's what's used. Agape does not mean charity, a term which King James carried over from Latin, and I don't want you to worry about that. But agape love is unique and distinguished by its nature and character. Agape is love which is of and from God, whose very nature is love itself. It, God is love. The Apostle John puts this in 1 John 4, 8. He says, God is love. God does not merely love. He is love himself. Everything God does flows from his love. So as we look at what agape love is, we see that it's self-sacrificial. So God loves because that is his nature and the expression of his being. He loves the unlovable and the unlovely, which is us. Not because we deserve to be loved, but because it is his nature to do so. And it's his nature. He did this on the cross. So the object of agape love never does anything to merit this love. This is very imperative that we, that we realize this. We are the undeserving re- recipients upon whom God has lavished that love. His love was, was demonstrated when he sent his son. So I want you to think about agape love, and I want you to think about the undeserving nature of agape love. Join me again after this break, and we're going to talk about what I want to, I want to know what love is.
Thank you for joining me. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and we are talking about love. I want to know what love is. And in the last um, part of the segment, we had ended on this idea of agape love because we are going to talk about three types of love. And the way we're going to, the reason we're doing that is because we want to see these three types of love being com- coming from us toward other people. How do I love someone with agape love, with phileo love, and with eros love? And how do I love myself this way? How do I love Christ that way? So we see this in Romans 5, 5, it says that because love is now in our hearts, we can obey Jesus who said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You should also love one another. John thirteen thirty four says this new commandment involves loving one another as he loved us sacrificially, even to the point of death. Again, it is clear that only God can generate within us this kind of self-sacrificing love. And that's the proof that we are his children. So when we look at agape love, agape love is always extended to someone who is completely undeserving, that it doesn't merit, there's no merit, they, they don't merit that type of love. It is purely self-sacrificial. So I want you to think about that in terms of how I love others self-sacrificially, and maybe how I love myself self-sacrificially, understanding that we are all undeserving, truly, of love. So what is phileo love? Well, this, this is another Greek word. And it's from philosophy, love or wisdom, or philanthropy, love of fellow men. So this word speaks more of the warm affection that's shared between family and friends, whereas eros love is closely associated with libido, or that's more of a sexual romantic love. Phileo can be more associated with the emotions or the heart. So we love for our friends and family, obviously not in an eros sense, but a love that motivates us to want to treat them kindly and help them succeed. However, phileo love is not felt between people who are at enmity with one another. So we can feel phileo love toward friends and family, but not toward people whom we dislike or hate. So what happens many times is we're in this phileo love, which, which is very comfortable to do. It's because we have fondness and affection for someone and closeness. But as soon as maybe that person that we feel close to hurts us, then we don't want to love them anymore. At that point, we need to realize, wow, this is where agape love steps in. This person is not necessarily deserving my love. They have broken trust. They have hurt me. They have done something that is offensive. And so I'm going to now to need to extend agape love to that person. The last one we have is eros love. And th- this word has many different meanings, but it, 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 the word to describe the range of meaning that our word love conveys. So th- this word is eros, which is, we get the English word erotic. So eros is the word used to express sexual love or feelings of arousal that are shared between people who are physically attracted to one another. So this type of love is solely given to our spouse, this type of eros love. And so we still want to have all three of those loves in that one intimate relationship. I'm going to have some self-sacrificial love. I'm going to love that person when I don't want to, when I have hurt feelings, bad feelings toward them. I'm going to have phileo love, which is companionable, so I'm excited to just hang out with that person. And then I'm going to also have eros love with with my spouse. So what you want to think about is as we're working on those three areas, we are shoring up the health of that relationship. So there are a couple of verses that I'm just going to give you that give some some examples of this. We have John 15, 13, 1 John 3, 16. We have Matthew 22, 36 through 39, which is God talking about love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. 
And the first and greatest commandment, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. So as we think about that last verse, love your neighbor as yourself, how, how can I love God, myself, and, and, and people in all these three ways? Well, I want you to think about your heart is a home. That's where you live. That's where God lives with you. So because we know that God is not, it's, it, the, that love with God is not a quality outside of himself, it's not a resource he accesses. So we are born with a need for love. Without it, we will die. And we've talked about failure to thrive before. When, when babies aren't seen, held, talked to, even if you just take care of their physical needs perfectly, they will fail to thrive. So we, the capacity to love, the desire to love, but this is not a resource. We need to receive it and recycle it. We don't create it. We get this from God. So we have this idea of like emotional bank accounts. So if I'm in a loving relationship with a friend, I want to continue to deposit love into that friend's life. So that when they go out into the world and they have to have hardship, they have some reserves to draw from because they know I love them. I do this with my spouse, children, clients. And so it's imperative that we work on understanding that everybody has a heart, at heart, and in that is their home. And they live there. And we don't want the people we love to have a barren home. So let me ask you a few difficult questions. How often we refer back to a person's home life as an explanation for why they act the way they do? So what is your internal home life like? So I ask myself, is my inner world changed because Jesus is living there? Am I practicing those verses? How do I love God and his people outside if I have no love inside? You've heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. So if I allow for abuse in my inner home, in my internal world, how am I prepared for the world of abuse and heartache outside of me? So if I've got abuse and heartache and, and a lack of love inside of me, how am I, am I going to be able to manage the adult world outside of me where there is very little love? Now, are you continually harming yourself by not loving or caring for yourself? These are imperative questions for you to ask when you're thinking about wanting to be in a love relationship with another person. Because I cannot produce outside of myself what I don't have inside. You see, my flesh always leads me toward the ungodly, which is death, abuse, bloodshed, hiding, lying, withholding. With only judgment, there is condemnation, and this leads to death. So I acknowledge my sin, and I allow God to be my judge and jury. Because he doesn't take kindly to me usurping his authority and being my own judge. If I'm doing this to myself, if I am judging, condemning, harming, yelling at myself, saying terrible, mean things to myself, and that's my inner world, that will come out of me eventually. I can only fake it for a while. So one more time, how do I love God, myself, and his people in all three ways? Well, I care about what God cares about. I care for what God cares for. And this is an imperative concept. I need to honor my master to care for what he cares for, to care about what he cares about. That means all people, and that means me. So love is feeling and intention put into action. Well, how do I love wisely? I love God first, and then I care for what he loves. In this way, I love God and his creation. I love what he loves. So this was, this was Adam's original edict. There was no doubt that Adam would not care for himself. 
But Satan came on the scene, and all of a sudden these children were no longer cared for, but were abused. And they were sent out into the world to act as adults when they did not get to do their childhood correctly. So now we have these adult children not knowing how to care for themselves. And so subsequently caring for others first, hoping they might be then cared for. This is, part of, this is where codependency comes from. Because codependency is the refusal to take care of self. And so it's imperative that we see all the way back to Adam and Eve. This is where this happened. God had to cover them because they were not able to take care. And so they had to learn to take care of themselves. And unfortunately, we have not gotten great role models through history many times about self-care because self-care and self-love is often villainized and looked at, looked at as selfish. And so I want you to think about this idea of self-care and self-love. How do you feel when someone loves the person you love? How do you feel when someone cares about the things you care about? It gives you a great feeling. Well, if I don't take care of me, others suffer. Others suffer greatly if I don't take care of me. So I, again, I need to honor my master to care for what he cares for, to care about what he cares about. And so we see this concept going, going repeatedly with those around us. That when we talk about in Mark that the king is saying to us, what you did for me, what you did for them, you did for the least of, of these. And the disciples were saying, I don't know who you're talking about. When did we clothe you? When did we feed you? And God said, when you did it for the least of these. So you want to ask yourself, am I one of the least of these? And God needs to say to me, thank you for caring for one of the least of me. And so it's imperative as you are looking at your internal world to understand that you live there. And so when we look at the definition of the word care, we see it says close attention or careful heed, a liking or a regard for, charge, protection, custody, like left in friend's care. So it means to care about others. So how do we care for ourselves? If I allow for abuse in my inner home, in my internal world, again, how am I prepared for the world of abuse and heartache? The more I hurt me, the more I'm going to have a tendency to hurt people. So it is an act of love to care for me. It is sacrificial. I don't want to do it. I do agape love to myself all the time. I don't necessarily want to do it. I live with myself 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I kind of get on my own nerves. But because God loves me and others love me, and I'm, I'm important to others, I'm important to God, I then care for that thing that they love, which is me. So maybe I would rather have others do it, or maybe I'm too lazy to take care of myself, which is sloth. Maybe I don't think I deserve it. Maybe I don't feel like I'm important to other people. The way to get that love towards yourself is to give it to yourself first, and you will then attract it. So think about... I'll give you an example. A best friend of mine, her daughter, was fighting for her life in a battle of cancer. And this is what she said. Her heart ached when she had to hold her down while this little girl was screaming, I hate you, and threatening to run away. Be that as it may, my friend was terrified not to give her the necessary treatment and absolutely heartbroken not to do it. She said something very powerful to me. She said her daughter may hate her for the rest of her life, but she'll be alive if she has anything to do with it. So it's amazing to consider what the Lord has to do in order to heal us, in order to save our lives, to ensure our eternal lives 
that he is willing to do whatever he needs to do to endure that pain. Our pain, our heartache, our anger, our disillusionment in him. And yet, his love for us is greater than his need to feel happy, okay, and light. So there are many times when I am loving myself that it might hurt because I might have to say no to myself and I, ha- I might have to do things I don't want to do. And I might have to do it alone. There are many things I may have to do when I love someone that may hurt. But I want them to live. I want you to live. So you are valuable to God. You have a tremendous resource. And many times we're more willing to take care of the planet and animals than we are for ourselves. So it's important for you to practice this self-care. So how do I do that? Well, what would Jesus do? Love means do no harm. It does not mean cause no pain. So you have to remind yourself, you're not to harm yourself, but there may be some pain involved. The best way to get the love that you are looking for is to give it to yourself first and to get it from the source, which is God. So if the enemy can get you to abuse yourself, you're doing his job for him now. So ask yourself, how would Jesus talk to me? How would Jesus treat me? If I had a little child, how would I treat that little child? Because you are one of those little children that God is wanting you to care about. So the outcome of self-care produces fruit. And it's imperative for you in your search for love, when you want to know what love is, you ask yourself, what makes me feel the most loved? And it's not indulgence or pleasure. That's temporary and creates more pain. So as you get to know yourself better and know your own style and what causes you to feel loved, you are better able then to explain to others the way you need to be loved. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me next week. We are going to be talking about emotional baggage. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate and spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay anytime at KPXQ1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on 1360 KPXQ.